0: Hello and welcome to the Alt Left.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to episode thirty of the Alt Left. With me, as always, is uh, His Eminence, the Reverend Doctor K.
0: Good evening, everyone.
1: Ednamir Padre, edfili sancti. And, and doubting Thomas himself, Matthew, heathen, communist, atheist, Jumbo Johnson
2: Praise be to his noodly appendage, ramen.
1: ramen Ramen He did boil for your sins And of course, I'm your host, Chris Lately, we've been talking about a lot of controversial topics like freedom of speech, police brutality, that kind of thing It's time to tone it down You know, we already had abortion. We've covered everything we can't talk about, so we're going to go light and fluffy this week. Tune in, put your feet up, crack a soda. We're just going to be talking about religion. That's all. The thing that actually brought this to our attention this week, um, it's something we've needed to talk about, but uh, it was especially spurred by Joe Biden's trials and tribulations as a Catholic, which are pretty much the opposite of the historical issue of a Catholic president. You know, we had uh, we had JFK was our first Catholic president, and a big issue in his election was with the American people, not the church. The church was overjoyed that um, philanderous, bang-anything-that-moves-drug-addict-John F. Kennedy was a good Catholic and was going to be president. Uh, meanwhile, Biden, who, boy, do I have some serious fucking gripes with, but none of them are that. I don't think he's a decent Catholic. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he, he's, he's oddly he, enough, right? Yeah, he, when it comes to philandering and drug addiction, a lot of the problems that you know, what, what the Catholics would consider a morality issues, he doesn't quite—pun uh, intended—bear the same cross that JFK did. Yeah. And the uh, the Catholic Church is now coming after him for his stance on abortion. And wants to do things like uh, not give him communion. I mean, this is a step below excommunication.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I didn't know that it was that harsh. Like that they they want to deny him communion. Yeah, no more Jesus crackers for Biden.
2: Yeah. Tol- See, in the Catholic faith, you can absolutely bang the shit out of however many women you want, whether you're married or not married, but all of them have to bear your children.
0: Got it. Or I mean, you could probably molest a couple of children too, right? Oh, yeah, you can lost all the kids you want. You'll just get yeah. shuffled around.
2: Yeah, get, un- yeah. Un- until, you know, it becomes national news, and then you'll just, you know, say I'm sorry and not really do anything to fix it.
1: Uh, hold on, hold on. You won't even say I'm sorry. The popes have not straight up said the Catholic Church was wrong. The popes have said, they kinda, you know that, that apology that narcissists give you? Like, I'm sorry you're upset about that. I'm sorry you feel that way. That's kind of the shit the Catholic Church pulled. They're like, we're so sorry of the the pain and problems that these children have faced. Never like, by the way, we're really sorry we covered up a pedophile ring for forever. Uh, No. That's
0: called a non-apology.
1: Absolutely. There is no admission of liability whatsoever. Uh, And again, that's, you know. That's part and parcel for religion, baby, especially when you're kind of talking about things like the Catholic Church. Uh, the Catholic Church has a special place in religious hypocrisy, uh, being that they basically just one day decided they were the only church allowed, and they, for some reason, had the right, and that St. Peter was their patron saint, and they carry the torch, even though the Catholic Church is not the oldest church, and it's not even like the top 500 oldest churches you could fill volumes of texts with the names of how many Gnostic faiths that came before the Roman Catholic church did. Uh, Catholic does not mean Roman Catholic. Uh, Catholic means all encompassing. So there's actually a lot of churches that claim to be Catholic besides the Roman Catholic church, the Greek Orthodox church is Catholic. The Ro- Russian yeah. Orthodox church is Catholic. Uh, the Anglican church is Catholic. The Lutheran church is Catholic. These Churches have bishops that, that go from apostolic secession, laying on hands, dating back to Peter and Christ, if Jesus even existed, all the way back. I mean, because at a certain point, historians fade away and it becomes Christian historians, which are about as trustworthy as flat earth historians, <laughs> as we'll dive into. Right. But <laughs> So, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk about whether or not Christ existed. And I remember a long time ago... Um, even before, I, I went through a stint uh, of Christianity. Don't worry, folks. I got better. Um, but I went through a stint of hardcore Christianity for about two years. And, but even before then, I was atheist. And even then, I was still like, well, no. Jesus existed. Romans kept records. We know this. This is fact. Blah, blah, blah. And then I actually researched it one day, not that long <laughs> ago. Uh, there's not a single shred of evidence, period. Not even evidence of his crucifixion. Like The best evidence we have is there is documentation of Pontius Pilate being in Jerusalem, there is evidence of King Herod. There is evidence that crucifixions did happen at this time, but that's the best we have. There is absolutely no evidence of this dude walking around being Jesus. And what makes it even more confusing is at the time There was a lot of dudes doing this Uh, at this particular time of the time of Christ. And we're going off on a tangent, but I just have to get this off my history chest. At the time that Jesus was assumed to have lived, uh, that was kind of a big thing was going around and saying you were you were the fucking chosen one because the Jewish faith is built upon the idea that a Messiah will come and save them. The Jews are God's chosen people, and once they left Egypt, the next time they faced massive persecution like this, the Christ would come and save the Jewish people. And so all of a sudden the Romans come, take over, everything's under attack. The Jews are complete subjugates of the Roman Empire. They do not like this. The Romans are pagans. I mean, there's a whole, like, breaking of tablets, golden calf story you should read. It's pretty fire. The Old Testament kind of sucks, but that one's a that one's a knocker. Read that one, and, and you'll find <laughs> out why, the, why, why Jews just really aren't that into pagans, you know. Uh, golden cows don't do it for them. So when Romans show up and conquer the shit out of them and have golden eagles with golden symbology under them on all of their poles you know that's a problem i mean these romans aren't light pagan the romans were hardcore pagan. and they kicked down the yep. door and were like check out your new fucking pantheon that doesn't sit well with rabbis man it just doesn't there was talk of this is going to be the end times and it's time for the the messiah to come and rescue the jews and then the world will fall apart and it'll be fucking awesome So you had a bunch of Jews running around doing what is the modern day equivalent of, you know,
0: trying to get Herbalife, right?
1: Yeah, trying to get you to join Herbalife, trying to get you to, you know, come sell knives at Cutco, come be part of Young Living. Like, it's always these bullshit, that bullshit pyramid scheme that everyone's doing right now to try to make money. It's all that, that was happening then. Everyone was like, hey, maybe, you know how you walk around sometimes and a guard goes, maybe I'm the dragonborn. I didn't know it. That was literally going on. Everyone's like, maybe I'm the Christ. And so there's actually a a very famous part where where Jesus gets locked in prison at the end before he dies in the Bible. There's this and and, and Pontius Pilate. You, I gotta tell you, if there's any sympathetic character in the New Testament, it's Pontius Pilate. He is he is this combination of the guy from Clerks saying I'm not supposed to be here today, and uh, what's his name from Lethal Weapon who's just too old for this shit. Um, (laughs) Danny Glover, you know Murdoch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, not Murdoch. Danny Glover's character. R- Murtaugh. Murtaugh. It's
2: Murtaugh. It's Riggs and Murtaugh. Oh, it's are the Riggs two characters.
1: Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Murdoch was older of the And Danny Glover's
2: character is Murtaugh.
1: Yeah, because he always goes, Riggs. So anyway, yeah. um, it's that same kind of thing. Pontius pilots this like, you know, this Roman uh, you know, ex-soldier. He's a total officer, comes from good stock, he becomes a governor, and so his kind of retirement pasture cruise, hey, um, so go to Jerusalem because and one of the things the Romans were good at is once they conquered you, honestly, if you let them build their roads and you paid your fucking taxes, they really didn't screw with you. Um, so they're like, hey, here's a cake assignment. Go hang out in Jerusalem. Uh, the Jews aren't very violent people. It's super chill. Uh, not a big problem. There's no active war zone going on. Go be governor there. And he's like, that's where I'll retire. Packs up his, you know, his, his all his shit and heads over to Jerusalem to put his feet up for the last few years of his life and then live there. And then this fucking Jesus guy comes along and he and and, and all the Jews want to hang him. And he allegedly. knows that's gonna allegedly. And he knows that's gonna start some shit. We're talking about the story of the Bible though. It's as if I was describing a Spider-Man comic to you. Um, <laughs> and so there's this special holiday where once a year the Romans would release any prisoner, regardless of crime, that the people wanted. And he's like, cool, this is my chance to get this Jesus guy out of jail, and it's not my fault. And they're like, do this. And they're like, no, get this Barabbas guy. Who was this other guy who was a freedom fighter who was claiming he was the Christ (laughs) because they already had multiple Christs locked up. So this was incredibly common at the time. So who actually knows? Uh, A lot of modern day scholars actually think the story of Jesus is a combination of multiple people who were claiming to be the virgin born Christ. Yeah, it's an amalgam, right? Well, and then mix that with a lot of Egyptian stuff because remember, Egyptian... Egypt was still a major power at this time. And Jesus, and I think it's Ramesses. I can't remember. No, no, it's not Ramesses. It's a, a fucking sun god. Ra. Ra. Yeah, and, and the son of Ronald. Anyway, Jesus' virgin birth and death after three days and all that completely coincides with a whole lot of astrological crap and a whole lot of Egyptian stuff. I mean, there's there's a bunch of shit you can watch and read on this. There's books written on this. Yeah. Uh, the point is, Jesus parallels a lot of the stories at the time And that's how things went. I mean, there's a reason there's a talking snake in Genesis, because at the time of the rise of Judaism, snake worship was the big pagan tradition before then. And what you do as humans is when you're starting a new religion, you make the last big one the enemy. So snakes were good. Now snakes fucking suck. That's what you do.
2: I started really coming into my atheism, like understanding my atheism, Probably about 12, 13 years ago. I remember at that time, Chris, that this idea of challenging the historicity of Jesus, of 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 actually saying, no, there's no evidence to support his existence was controversial. I remember about when I was around 25 is when this really started gaining steam. And I remember it was being talked about everywhere because there were still like legitimate secular historians that were arguing against this. Now, time has gone by, obviously, I'm wondering, is this still a big debate in the history community, at least among secular scholars, or is it pretty much accepted now as, you know, no, he didn't exist and it's probably just a made-up story?
1: You will be hard-pressed to find a secular scholar who will tell you that there is evidence of Christ's existence.
2: Good to know. That That's a really quick time of acceptance, so... Because
1: the idea that scholarliness can move away from Christianity isn't that new, as we will talk about later in this episode... Uh, you know, America's breaking away of academics from religion is pretty recent. Uh, that's, you know, th- yeah. th- that's that's only mm-hmm. like 40, 50 years old. Um, but yeah, no, you're going to, most secular historians will be like, the more I learn about history and study it and, and, and advance in degrees, it, it, there's very rarely a yes or no answer. It's always like, well, so it's like, there are some who will claim that, but most historians are loath to touch it historians who are absolute atheists and who do not like organized religion will happily go down that path because they're already taking that heat i everyone knows i am not a christian i don't believe jesus is real i think he's just a wonderful bedtime story like every other pagan god is and so, therefore, I already take heat for not being a worshiping Christian in America. I don't know if I'm taking it. A lot of people struggle with that faith or don't want to come into conflict with conservatives. And so, you, very rarely do you find leftists pinning them down going, what do you think? Do you think Jesus – now, you tend to get that from right-wing nutjobs. And most academics don't feel like having arguments with nutjobs. Us three love poking that beehive and having arguments <laughs> with nut jobs, But most people Absolutely. don't. <laughs> especially most academics. These are career people who are writing books, making money, teaching classes, learning shit. Uh, They're history communicators. They're not interested in having screaming matches with the Westboro Baptist church. That's for people like us to do. So it will be hard for you (laughs) to find people who want to die on that hill. But if you back a, any secular historian to a quarter and saying, is there, is there, is there legitimate good evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ? As we know him, he'll be like, no, there's none. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's the thing. So that's, that, that's what it is. So the first writings about this stuff in the Bible don't even come until well after um, another lifetime comes. I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are considered the Gospels. These are the stories yeah. of Jesus. They were written by people who never met him 30, 40, 50, sometimes 100 years after I was, was going to say
2: like a full, almost a full generation past his death, right?
1: Yes, a complete generation past Christ was supposedly killed. So it's all after the fact, and it's very political. It's very, um, you know, because remember, remember, there are literally freedom fighters. I mean, this is even, and again, this isn't even just, this is historical fact, but it's even in the Bible. They talk about this. Barabbas is a freedom fighter. That's who um, Judas was. That's who Peter was. You know, that very famous line of you live by the sword, you die by the sword comes from the Bible you know, and he's basically trying to tell people like, no, no, we're not going to get out of this by killing Romans. We're going to get out of this through pure obedience. And if you ask me again, that sounds like a, a political move more than anything else. So anyway, after that all happens, right? You have the Christian church, which isn't really, again, this is, we're talking about hundreds, if not thousands of tiny Gnostic faiths, kind of like something that's actually come back into fashion. You see in America, You'll drive down any main street and you'll see, you know, the First Presbyterian Church and the First Baptist Church of Blank and the Episcopal Church of whatever and Our Lady of St. Jehoshaphat, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, Christian Church of Joe. And you're like, what? <laughs> yep, this is yeah. the, you know, this is the Lakeview Christian Church. And it's like, well, what kind of Christian church? We're, we're just Christian, which basically means no Jews, no blacks. But... They can't say that. So they just call themselves Christian and only let Republican white people show up. And they are individually run, which means these guys don't answer to a pope. They don't answer to a bishop. They don't answer to any council. They don't answer to anything. They
0: don't have a creed. They don't have a a, a set of beliefs. I mean, half the time they don't don't even have charters like that established rules of their faith, of their, you know, of the business of a church, which believe you me, it's a freaking business. Uh, Oh yeah. Well, that's why they're incorporated. All churches are incorporated, but there's one
1: here in Los Angeles. There's one called Faith Baptist Church. And I only know it because I knew people who went there. This is an incorporated Baptist church that is literally just run by a corrupt family that is running a small cult underneath a cross. And you're allowed to do that. And that's what these Gnostic faiths were. They were small family run itty bitty cults, right? Because it's news. And again, that's one of the reasons we have such issues with documentation of Jesus, because it becomes this culty thing that moves around in small groups. And it's all oral tradition. It spreads around, but it gets really fucking popular people dig this and at first there's a big push against it because you know Christians are known as cannibals because all people here because they're meeting in secret it's not legal you know you got to go worship saturn and, and and fucking jupiter and mars and you got to worship these you know these other pagan gods in the pantheon you got to go to the fucking shrine of apollo who's this jesus dude um that's not allowed and the romans will literally persecute you for that jesus you know that the idea of christian persecution under romans is real they really were killed and slaughtered and fed to lions and used for sport like that happened for a very short time but it happened they were second classes they had no rights and then they kept growing and everyone was getting really into them um and so all of a sudden a roman civil war breaks out there's a problem with the line of secession And now the power players in Rome are fighting for control. And this dude named Constantine comes (laughs) along, and he's got a pretty good claim to the leadership. And he sees which way the wind is blowing. You know, Much like Hillary Clinton deciding gay people are humans, Constantine's like, you know, this Christian thing might be sticking around. You know, kind of like most people are looking at Bitcoin right now, like, this actually may survive. Same kind of thing. It was, holy shit, this weird cannibalistic cult of Christians who want to drink this carpenter dude's blood. There's a lot of them, and they're really popular, and they have money. They're starting to get sway, and they're they're starting to get really popular and organized. Um, Okay. I'm going to – and he does a Hail Mary. No pun intended on that one, actually. Uh, (laughs) He he does his Hail Mary, and he's marching into battle. Again, we're not talking about what happened because what happened is Constantine was like, hmm, all right, better go appease the Christians. I'm Christian now. I saw a thing. What is historically known this this guy named uh, Lucius Calus. he's he's a he's a Roman quote unquote historian again a <laughs> Christian historian who worked under Constantine right and he's the one who wrote the legend of Constantine's conversion around three hundred ish circa and it was during one of the it was during one this one marginal war I forgot which battle it was it, yes, look it up read a book guys uh, but it was one of the big turning point battles and Constantine had a lot of soldiers who were secretly Christian. He was motivating them. He was unifying him. This was a strategic political move, and it was a smart one. I'm not even mm-hmm. knocking Constantine for it.
2: Got himself a good publicist, saw where the one was going. Like, Yeah,
1: but props. L- l- let's put our history hats on here and think critically about this. That's what this guy was doing. It's very clear this is not a new game, you know? And so basically, he apparently – and here's, by the way, something you won't read a lot about. Um, Unless you read really esoteric Roman history like I do. Um, Don't do it. Talk to people and have a life instead. Um, Basically, Constantine claims that he saw an image as he was marching, broad daylight. He sees the sun and he sees a cross above it. And then miraculously, apparently God speaks Greek now instead of Hebrew. He literally sees in Greek, in hoc signo vincis, which is Greek, which means, you know, basically, go kick ass in this name. I think it means, like, the direct direct translation is basically in this sign conquer or in this name conquer, uh, by this sign conquer, however you want to fucking conjugate it.
2: Thus the beginning of whitewashing of Jesus.
1: Yeah, Yeah, go murder under this banner, right? According to legend, Constantine was like, I don't understand what this means. If only I had some kind of guidance. And then... Just like a Mormon founder might do, he has a dream where he gets to hang out with Jesus. And Jesus comes to him and says, hey, go kill a bunch of people in my name. I'm really into that. You should totally murder the shit out of a bunch of people. Which, I mean, honestly, to be fair, if, if he existed, he was crucified by Romans. So maybe he was just trolling a Roman to get more Romans killed because he was pissed. That, who knows? I'd do that. But the point is, Jesus told Constantine to uh, to, to go popsicle a whole bunch of dudes with of pikes. And he does. And Constantine wins the battle and starts winning the war and becomes the emperor of Rome because basically he tells all his men, paint a fucking cross on your shields. And all these men who are a majority Christian are now all united under a banner. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you ever played a sport, I played football. If you guys ever played a sport, like, what do you do? No, you don't go. No one marches out onto a field and goes, all right, do your best. Let's go go score some points. It would be nice if we won. No, they're just like, hey, go go West Elm High. We're the fucking best.
0: Win one for the Gipper.
1: Win one for the fucking (laughs) Gipper and go home and fuck their moms and murder them. You, 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 You unify everyone. You get them pumped up. And so this is the same thing. It's like, I talked to Jesus and he said, we need to do some killing. And everyone was like, fuck yeah, that sounds like Jesus. And then they went and did it. And Constantine becomes the emperor of Rome. And then we have what really sets a lot of issues moving forward. Constantine decides, okay, so there's all these Gnostic faiths and they're all over the fucking place. Some people think that it's all about God. This is monotheistic. Some people are pagan about it and they're like, oh, there's this God, but there's also Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's, they're all three different gods and you gotta worship all of them together. And some people are like you gotta eat people's flesh. And some people are like, that's fucking weird. And some people are like you got to cut off the tip of their penis. And the other people are like, that's fucking weird. And so Constantine's like, we need to we need to fucking unify this. If I'm gonna run an empire, I need people on the same goddamn page. And so if anyone who's been to church in a in any Catholic apostolic tradition, so we're talking in here in America, we're talking Lutherans, Episcopalians, Catholics, Methodists, you've heard the Nicene Creed. Where everyone Nicaea! Yep, where everyone stands up like independent thinkers and jointly recites verbatim a belief structure of we believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church we believe in the virgin birth we believe in the holy spirit blah 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 and people do their pledge of this is the faith that i have independently come to that i scream in unison
2: that was shoved down my throat since the day i was born
1: like a catholic priest
2: uh- <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was a cheap shot but sometimes the jokes write themselves man <laughs> cheap shot or not it was accurate <laughs> It's too low of a blow. So anyway, what you have here is his now now he's unifying, right? Now he's got the empire, he's got the soldiers on board. Now he's gonna unify. And when I talk about these nostroches, I'm not talking about just people in Rome. We're talking about the Greeks, the Russians, the you know, there's a whole Middle Eastern contingent to this. There's Egyptians to worry about. There's the entire Italian peninsula. I mean there's a lot of area of the world, you know, half the empire of Alexander, we're talking has christian gnostic faith so he gets his council together he gets all these head bishops and he's like we're going to get together and we're going to make a decision and we're going to vote and we're going to sit and we're going to talk and we're going to make a creed of exactly what it means to be christian and when we're done we're all going to shake hands and agree and everyone who goes home safely is going to agree to this and everyone was like oh Okay. So they sat for a few (laughs) days and made some fucking hard choices. Uh, That's where you get the Trinity. That's where it's like this whole like, well, God, the father is the supreme being, the alpha, the omega. But there is also Jesus and the Holy Spirit who are equal to God, who is the almighty and the supreme being. And you're like, and that's why the Trinity is such a hard thing to grasp for a lot of people, because it makes no fucking sense. It's a weird compromise. And this is all pre Bible. Yes. Yeah. Well this this is where the Bible's like, this actually This is qu- all no no, this is this is the Genesis this is where they of decide the Bible.
2: Where, yeah, this is where they decide what gets included in the Bible and what doesn't. Yeah. All I was trying to
0: say is that like this is not after the Bible was already what considered to be the Bible. We had a bunch of books that were that were separate and then they kind of brought all lot of this together. For this specific purpose. Correct. We
1: had a bunch of different books and a bunch of different versions of the Bible. In fact, this is where, like the Dead Sea Scrolls come from and stuff is, you know, we had books of we had, we had testaments of Mary Magdalene. Uh, there's actually yep. a really yeah. fun one. That's the the book of Raphael, which is about an archangel who, who was like a minor archangel. So it's actually a fun story. Um, And it's a shame it's not in the Bible because it's literally about it's like think of a call of duty. It's literally about this like grunt archangel. He's bottom level archangel, but he's like going through hell and fighting shit, having a really hard fucking time. But anyway, that's where all these dead books that the Catholic Church does not want you to read come from is these Gnostic traditions. So they they meet several times over a long period of time. Like it wasn't like the council got together for brunch. Like, no, no, the council meets many, many times over a big stretch of time. And then they come up with the Bible. And that's where they decide on these Bibles. And you can see in the Bible where these, where where the see these contradictions, especially in the Old Testament, but in the new one too, these major contradictions that people who point out to kind of criticize Christianity and faith That's why you see these, you know, that's why Eve has a rib pulled out of her to make Adam. But then also in the next story, uh, Adam and Eve are created simultaneously by God pulling them both out of the dust. Like, well, how are the two creation stories, you know, and, and that's why you see this stuff. You know, well, how come God, how can God be the Alpha and the Omega and the single almighty when he's talking to Moses but then later on, he, it's a three-way split. It's a thruple. That's weird. And again, that's because we had to combine multiple belief structures. And this is stuff that was split down the middle. And he needed to make a compromise to get everyone together. So that, that's where Constantine. that's where we get the Bible. That's where that comes from. That's where that, the, the collection of books, you know, from Genesis through, through fucking Armageddon, that's where you get this annotated collection that Christians agree to, right? And it becomes political this is where we get the King James Bible from this. There's a whole British civil war uh, where King James needed to make his own version of the Bible that was pro him. And so it's edited heavily. The King James Bible is like pretty much the least accurate translation ever made because it was a political move from day one. Politics is what religion is actually about. Always has been the crusades. We're absolutely about money, wealth, power, control of land. The Holy Roman Church needed control of the Holy Lands because it was a point of pride and it was a point of money. I mean, that's literally the reason why England even got involved in the Crusades. And there God, there was a whole ransom. King Richard, oh my God, poor King Richard got like kidnapped, and his mom had to pay a bunch of fucking money. There's a lot to it. But so that we, go, we go through the, the long list of crusades, which one of them, the Roman Catholic Church brought us, the Children's Crusade, where they decided that, like, the problem, the reason we're not winning these crusades is people are sinners. And they're just fucking sinners. So we need to send a bunch of eight-year-olds out there who have never touched a woman and have never done anything wrong. And we're going to put a bunch of children in armor and swords and God will deliver. And, of course, they were splorched immediately, never seen from again. This is the problem with religion-motivated government. Here's the biggie. uh, If I had to ask you, what do you think the biggest fucking kerfuffle between the Roman Catholic Church and an ancient uh, or at least an old leader would be? What do you think that might be?
2: Uh, The time that Henry VIII told the church to get fucked?
1: Yeah, actually, I would agree with that. Um, Henry VIII was a
2: huge
1: issue with the Roman Catholic Church. Again, this is where we, we really see a major issue uh, with politics and religion colliding in a way that kills a lot of poor people. Henry VIII had, had a, had a had an issue. He was the second of his, even though he's the eighth, he was only the second monarch. His dad literally stole the throne, usurped it, took it by force. And so Henry VII left him the throne. And Henry VIII came up, and he again, he's only the second which means there's a lot of other people in the court who have a very legitimate claim to that throne as well. And he's holding it at the end of a gun. So what do you do? Well, there's a very strong marriage between his older brother, who was supposed to be the king who died young. He had just gotten married to a Catholic from Spain. He marries the Catholic princess of Spain. This is great. Spain and England are friends. It's super Roman Catholic. Everyone's happy. This is a great, great power move. And then he fucking dies. And Henry VIII, who is like second in line, he's not even supposed to be the king. And anybody who's watched Game of Thrones, this is where you see Ned Stark's story. You know, he's never supposed to be the leader. He was the second in command. He was just supposed to be a good soldier and get laid and party and do his own thing. And that's what Henry VIII was doing. And then his brother dies and all of a sudden he's got to be fucking king. Well, what do you do? Because now Spain is like, well, you better not fuck over the princess. So what they do is the cardinals get together and they ask the pope for an exemption. And they say, look, we found this obscure passage in scripture saying that if a man marries a woman and he dies before they can fuck, it's cool for the brother to marry her and legitimize her. And they're like, oh, yeah, they totally never banged because. People don't do that when they get married, especially when they're trying to make heirs. No, that didn't happen at all. And so the Pope grants it, says, okay. And poof, we're good. We're good. You can marry her. It's not even a divorce. Everything's fine. He's dead. You're good. Do it. So So
0: basically they bribed him. No, they didn't. They they actually didn't bribe him. See, England was sending. You don't think there was some money that, no. that changed hands there? There, wa- there wasn't,
1: and I'll tell you why. Because money had already changed hands. England had yeah. was, was forking over annually a fuck ton of money to the Roman Catholic Church. They paid it no matter what happened. Whatever the decisions were, it doesn't matter. Every year, they sent over a shit ton of money to England. And because of this, they had a very cozy relationship with the papacy.
2: Yeah, it's also important to remember that the Roman Catholic Church at this point, Ran everything. Yes, they were the real power in these lands, and so there was no reason to bribe them because everyone owed them everything. Period. Yeah,
0: yeah. You don't, you don't bribe because the, without
2: king. the Yeah, without without the church's blessing, like you don't get shit.
1: If you're excommunicated, every other European power will not trade with you. They'll fuck you over. You'll be dead. So, no, they they sent over a fuck ton of money. But the thing is, is the Pope was actually friends with Henry VIII. They knew each other. Uh, They were kind of buzzed. In fact, the Pope liked him so much, he actually declared Henry VIII defender of the faith, which basically means he's head Jesus general, which is a big thing. It's huge. Spain wished they had that. France coveted the shit out of that. You know, England, this little country. This tiny little island gets to have like the most chosen and favored seat with the papacy. So they're not popular with that one, which is, again, they're hating with France all the time. This is why they're courting this relationship with Spain through this marriage. Well, Henry Eighth is banging away at this older broad who's not pumping out babies. And she finally pumps out a daughter. Her name's Mary. Mary, Queen of Scots. Well, he's like, oh, you know, you know, it's really not good for establishing a a royal lineage when it's very, very new. And there's other people who have claims just as good, if not better than mine. Popping out a lady. So Mary is allowed to, you know, live, whatever. um, But she can't be king. There's never been a, a, a queen regent the daughter's a bad, that's a, that's a bad deal. So finally he, you know, and then his wife can't have any more kids. And this is a problem. He needs a fucking son and he needs one. Now he needs one yesterday, man. And so he needs a divorce from this bitch and he needs a new wife. That That's the end of the story. He needs a wife who can pump out a son. Henry VIII needs to get rid of Catherine Aragon, right? This is the Spanish princess. And he's got to get rid of her yesterday. He needs a son now. And so while he's on the lookout for it, he actually falls in love with another woman. He really does dig her. Uh, That's Anne Boleyn. Now, there's a lot of speculation. Anne Boleyn was a noble, and her father was very much trying to get his hands on the fucking throne as well. Very much made sure he put his hot, half-naked daughter in front of Henry VIII all the time. And made sure she always talked about how dope his codpiece looked. So, of course, Henry obviously falls for her and he, you know, and she's like, oh, dude, I'll, I'll let you fucking I'll let you put more seed in me than a farmer at springtime, man. And he's like, all right, this is fucking great. And so now he goes to the pope and he's like, hey, pope, pope sends a message, you know, tells the cardinals, I need another exemption. He and the Cardinals sit down, do a little reading, and they find another passage in the Bible that says a man can't marry his brother's wife under any circumstances. Biblical contradictions. So they're like, hey, Pope, there's this other passage. Yeah, we got we got to do right by Jesus and get rid of this marriage. It's just not right. And it's got nothing to do with me needing a son. This is all about uh, this is all about the Lord. That would have gone great. Henry VIII and the Pope were buddies. Right before this happened, France invaded Rome and literally sacked it. And you might think, well, that's a bad idea because the Pope would be pissed and screw them over. Well, they kidnapped the Pope and literally hold him at sword point. So now... The Roman Catholic Church is the French Catholic Church. And no one hates Henry VIII more than the goddamn French. So they tell him to go get fucked. Because they want to see that happen. They want him to not have an heir. And they want a French-friendly king to jump in. So they tell him, no, it's sinning. And this is, again, this is what we're talking about. This is this this, this conflication here. So Henry VIII goes, "It's it, the choice is, I can stick with it be Catholic and England can keep paying a whole bunch of money, not just to Rome, but now the money is going to be all funneled to the French, our enemies who we are actively warring with. So I can just basically send boats of gold to the people who are trying to kill us and then lose my lineage and lose my throne or I can keep my throne And I can keep all the money as well until the French to go fuck themselves. So I think I'm going to do that. So he does what no one had done and tells the Catholic church to go fuck itself. Starts the church of England, declares the king of England. Also the head of the church, which means he's basically English Pope and can make whatever rules he wants. Divorces his wife, really pisses off Spain and marries Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn doesn't give him a son. (laughs) That's the real the real shit part of it. Is Technically, she does, but they're stillborns. She, she doesn't give him any sons that can take the throne. And then, and here's what's important, she does give him one very healthy daughter,
0: Elizabeth.
1: Now, Mary was born under the Catholic reign. She's Catholic. Her mom's Catholic. The Catholics are all about Mary. And they're like, fuck yeah, firstborn daughter. This revolution will be over real quick. Meanwhile, now he started a whole new church. And of course, his wife is protestant he's protestant now the country's protestant he shifted the government and we're simplifying there's many 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 people killed and many problems with this it's not like people were just like all right whatever no people were pissed but shit went down and, and when the dust settled this is what happened and so now you have elizabeth the protestant princess what the fuck are you going to do there so he still needs a goddamn son now he's got two daughters and they're of the two warring factions fuck this is a major problem so he uh he goes oh um, i'm pretty sure she's banging her brother and she's a traitor and she you know stole the cookie out of the royal cookie jar and did this and he basically a whole bunch of charges that aren't real get shrunk to him this is where you get the oh he just killed all his wives he actually did most of them he divorced and bolin he killed it sucks it shouldn't have happened but he couldn't just divorce a second wife he had no religious claim to it so charges go her head gets cut off Hey, guess who's single and ready to fucking mingle? So then he has Jane Seymour, his third wife. She, has, she gives him a boy. She dies in childbirth. And, and then not that much later, <laughs> his son dies. She dies. Nice. The, kid, the kid is super sickly. He dies, too. Henry has several more wives. What, you know, he, you know, he, you know, an Anne of Cleves, who I think uh, he didn't even consummate it. You know, Catherine Howard, who actually, I think uh, they became, uh, no, Catherine Howard was like 19, 18 or 19. And she had, all, she was actually banging everyone in the castle. She was super like, I just, I just think English dick is dope. And so he was like, well, I got it. So she's the other one he killed. <laughs> you know, he becomes friends with Catherine Parr, but still divorces her. He never had a goddamn son. So Henry VIII, before he dies, goes, "Okay, well, he never had a son that lived. He had stillborns and he actually had a sickly boy that dies. So now we've got a Catholic Mary who has the best claim and Elizabeth Protestant. He goes, fuck this. I'm not letting the goddamn French Catholics do this. Meanwhile, the Spanish and French are now getting together because the Spanish are pissed because they lost the throne and the French are pissed because, well, they're fucking French and they're getting together and they're just teaming up against England. He's like, we can't do this Catholic thing. It'll fucking destroy the country. So he declares his second daughter, Elizabeth, and he gets parliament to do it. Remember at the time, the King owned parliament, there was a parliament, but they only met when he told them to. And they went home when he told them to, they were the King's bitches. He gets parliament to declare that Elizabeth will be the successor. And then everything was fine. No one was bad about it ever again. <laughs> Obviously, there was an English Civil War. We've all heard about Mary, Queen of Scots, you know, Bloody Mary, getting her head cut off. A whole bunch of shit goes back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, Elizabeth kills Mary, and Elizabeth becomes pretty much the most badass ruler England has ever had. And the role of the Church of England and no more Catholicism is cemented for quite a while until the Glorious Revolution of 1688. Uh, They basically declare that they don't need a king anymore. Um, that doesn't work out. They need King James. King James II comes in. He's Catholic. And this is a big problem. He's the best royal line, but they don't want a Catholic. And so he makes a deal. He goes, Look, all I've got is this daughter. I'm going to marry her off to a Protestant man, and he will take the throne when I die. And they're like, Okay. Deal. You can be Catholic king for a little bit, the country staying Protestant, and your daughter marries a Protestant, whatever. So she does. His daughter marries William of Orange. He's a Protestant. Everything's going to be fine. And then very shortly before he dies, he has a mirror. And he's old. God, James is like 60 or something like that. And his wife is as old as he is. No one should be having babies. And they have a goddamn oops baby. And it's a boy. Well, now King James says this is a sign from God and clearly Catholicism should win. And then nobody was mad about it and everything was fine. <laughs> Obviously giant war happens but the Protestants win <laughs> and that's where it's cemented. That's the end of the Catholic reign. And why is this important? Because this sets up the Protestantism versus Catholicism around all of European history. You know, one of the reasons, one of the many things that that hitler used to get a moral justification for persecuting jews um was lutheranism so martin luther has seen the indulgences the catholic church is doing he says fuck this writes his you know writes his note nails it to the door blah 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 that's we all famous history he moves way to germany to flee to live and starts the lutheran church well he was really anti-semitic a lot of people are like oh martin luther was this nice guy mm. He advocated for the burning of synagogues at every opportunity and the slaughter of Jews. Uh, Incredibly anti-Semitic. And the, the Nazi government used this big time. And this came to play in World War II. So they're doing this. And then the Catholic Church has a problem, right, with this. Because the Nazis are not religious. They don't like religion. Fascism and religion don't get along. And much like, you know, that's why a lot of people equate communism and fascism because they're both kind of anti-religious. So the fascists are anti-Jew and they use that Lutheran argument to help them with Christians, but they're not religious at all. And the Catholic church sees them persecuting Like Jeho- we talked about it on our last podcast, Jehovah's witnesses are getting persecuted and they know this. So the Vatican does what the Vatican always does and ends up on the wrong side of history. They sign what was called the Reich concordant, which is, you know, or Reich concordant, uh, which is Kraut for, you know, the the, the, the contract with the Reich. Uh, it was in July of 33. And this is July of 33 is important because in the beginning of 33 is when Hitler rises to power as chancellor. They sign this. And this is basically an agreement that the Vatican would, would shut the fuck up about Germany and the Nazis would leave Catholics alone. The Catholic Church gets to continue being run by Catholics. The bishops get to do what they want. They get to elect their own priests, blah, blah, blah. But they don't get to talk about politics, and they especially don't get involved in the Holocaust or talking about how bad Nazis are. The Vatican will completely look the other way as they commit genocide, as long as they let Catholic priests continue to collect money and make their own rules and laws. Now, not only... Does this mean the Vatican completely supports genocide in the Nazi regime? But it, it really actually helped push that forward. Hitler was an unknown. He had just become chancellor at this point. It had been less than a year. People didn't know if this was going to work or not. And then all of a sudden, the Vatican signs a fucking treaty with Hitler directly. This completely legitimizes the Nazi government. And fun fact, it's actually still technically in force in Germany and the Vatican. This is where kind of that, you know, this is kind of where our Catholic timeline diverges because now Protestantism has taken over most of the globe. But this, you know, by the 20th century and Catholicism is just another one. It's it's lost its main seat of power. But we still see those roots are there. You cut the tree off, the stump and the roots are there. Just like the, you know, the Vatican still, even though, you know, the Vatican was not any political or military powerhouse at all. They still had the ability to completely prop up and legitimize Hitler in the eyes of the world and completely legitimize the Holocaust in terms of all Catholics, which is a huge number of people. And it's one of the reasons we have an issue with what they're doing with Joe Biden right now is the, ca- the Vatican is now forcing the American – this is what they worried about happening with JFK that didn't happen is now the Catholic church is trying to actually do this meddling with Biden and force him to choose between his Catholic faith and the constitution and the Supreme court, you know, and we've done a lot of, you know, I've done a lot of digging at the Catholic church in this little, this little, this little speech here, but it's the Catholic church is the one that has had the most power in the most history, but even just general good old Protestantism, whether you're talking about Lutheranism, Methodists, Baptists, Episcopalians, whatever, they all have their claws in government and policy. And that, that that's happened even up – even not even modern time. We're talking about the modern evangelical movement, which we'll get to in a little bit. It, it was a big thing in when the rise of communism it was a huge factor in the Cold War.
2: Yeah. I mean we, we talked about, about it a little bit when we discussed the – during our amendment podcast. Around the 1950s, World War II had ended – now, all of a sudden, we've got the Cold War going on, and communism is – it's not just Russia, and that's something that people need to keep in mind. Communism was spreading across the globe. That's part of the reason why there was this big American push to fight it because it was really two ideologies at war. That's really what this is about. Russia was leading the charge. Don't get me wrong. But um, you know it was absolutely this spread, and it was going to be like which one was going to be com- capitalism or communism, capitalism or communism and one of the 10 one of the inroads that a lot of like US politicians had was the religion bit because as Chris has discussed, communism is against religion, and Stalin kind of took that concept and ran with it and became authoritarian and oppressive with it and was just trying to like aggressively and oppressively trying to stomp it out. I mean, we're talking shutting down churches. Chris mentioned like he would, of course, return those churches to the state and things like that, but he was absolutely pulling people out. There were people dying, going to gulags, things like that, all because they had a religious belief. And so one of the ways a lot of, uh, in addition to McCarthyism and a lot of other things that we'll talk about when we get more into the Red Scare, one of the ways the U.S. decided that they wanted to combat this was religion, because there is a history of religious belief in this country. Now, as we discussed on the First Amendment podcast, there was supposed to be a separation of church and state. So the idea behind it was everyone could practice their religion. It just so happened that the majority of religious practitioners were Christian Protestants. Simple as that. That's why it's the majority religion in this country. But there, as always, at least in the founding of this country, been supposed to be this idea of religion is separate. We are a secular nation. People can practice a religion, but it doesn't get tied into politics. Well, now religion is getting tied into politics in a big bag way. And 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 at least when we're talking about modern times, the Infusion of religious iconography, religious phrases, um, things like the Ten Commandments, Bible quotes, things like In God We Trust, that all started around this time. Um, One of the first big ones uh, was a piece of legislation that was signed into law was H.R. 619, termed the In God We Trust Bill. All right this this was uh submitted by a democratic representative named Charles E. Bennett of Florida. He introduced the re- resolution to the house and it won fast backing from pretty much every committee on on that you can imagine. You know, people were just all for this because again, a lot of people in this country like religion even though we're supposed to have a separation of church and state, people are going to vote for their religious beliefs.
1: And I think it's important to point out here that this was a this was a shift, right? You know, what we're talking about, this is an act passed by Congress. This isn't like some slow-moving cultural change. No, they literally passed a law to completely 180 the spirit of religiosity in America. And then you have what conservatives always do: this, this, this perfect marriage of cherry picking and revisionist history and say that this is how it always was. And we've always loved God.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And in fact, from this guy, Bennett, uh, uh, Charles E. Bennett, one of the quotes when he was submitting it, this is one of his quotes. Nothing can be more certain than that our country was founded in a spiritual atmosphere and with a firm trust in God. This is the beginnings of where you get a lot of these today people saying, well, this is a Christian nation. No, it never was. This is a retelling of the truth. A re- envisioning of history, revisionist history, like Chris was saying. You know, He also said, while the sentiment of trust in God is universal and timeless, these particular four words, in God we trust, are indigenous to our country. Now, it is absolutely true that there were, the the phrase, in God we trust, was on some of our coins. It wasn't on everything. It wasn't widespread. It was, I think it was on, always has been on pennies, and there might have been some coins that have fallen out of favor. I don't know the domin- denominations just yet, but it was there, but it was never widespread. This bill essentially made it so that In God We Trust was pushed on all of our currency. Bills, coins, you name it, it's there. And then kind of a, just about a year later, uh, in, in about July, I think it was like 19th, July 30th, 1956, they passed another joint resol- resolution Declaring "In God We Trust" as our national motto. Now we mentioned this before. Before then, our national motto had always been "E pluribus unum," and what the, that's basically Latin. It means "Out of many, one," which honestly is a fucking badass motto. Why we switched it for a bunch of religious bullshit? It, it just, oh, boils my balls, but fuck yeah, we literally
1: uh, had the Captain Planet of slogans. It was awesome, it, it, yeah. <laughs> but it sound it sounds very it sounds very socialist.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where you get things like our Pledge of Allegiance being changed, where once upon a time, it was one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That was the original Pledge of Allegiance. But around this time, they put under God in there. So now, and since then, it's been one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And it's these little tiny injections that started us on this path to religious fundamentalism. All Because of the fear mongering about communism that was going on in this time. And it was this idea of like, we're a religious nation. Well, you know, yes, socially, that's true. But politically, that was never the case. And all the religious people were like, well, no, we need to fight communism with our religion because they want to come take our religion away. America isn't about that. And, And you see the nugget of truth in there, folks? It's... There is a grain of truth in there. This idea that our founding fathers didn't want people to be able to tell you what you could and couldn't believe, but religion was never supposed to be, weaved into the fabric of our government. It was never supposed to be the state religion that we have. It wasn't supposed to be a theocracy, you know. And and unfortunately, we're heading down that road. And, and there are differences, and it's important to Chris talked about the way religion is with within England specifically. One of the things that a lot of religious people will wrongly point to as a model is is England, saying how re- England has a state religion, and it's true. A lot of religious people will point to that and say, well, see, they've got it, and we should do the same thing. And what most of them don't realize is, yes, it's true. They have a state religion, and it is grained into many facets of their government. The thing that a lot of religious people in this country don't get about the English church, though or the Church of England, is that the English as a whole don't take their religion as seriously as the U.S. does. They don't take their religion as u- and use it as a means of governance. That's the thing. Even though their their God and their faith is injected into their bureaucracy, I should say, it's not A tool they use to decide how to govern that country, despite the fact that they've got a state religion is actually very secular in the way they govern and, and very left and liberal leaning. They don't use religion as a means of governance. It's, it's more of a a just kind of like, you know, it's the way atheists will still habitually say, God bless you. When someone sneezes, it doesn't mean anything.
1: And something gets a point is, is, ironically, it came from that absolute wanting of religion to govern. You know, when Henry VIII declared himself both sovereign of England and head of the church, he then set the precedent that all royalty is. Like, for instance, current right now, Elizabeth II, Queen of England, is the head of the Church of England. The yeah. Archbishop of Canterbury technically takes orders from her. She has more power in the church than she does in the state. And the ironic thing, though, is that's actually what caused that secular shift, because once, once the English figured out we need to get rid of this fucking king and then the French follow suit and all you know, when the monarchies lost all that power, that the church... The political power of the church was tied to the monarch. You know that was the horse Henry hitched it to, and so when yeah. that horse went down, so did the fucking chariot. And so the church is considered part of the culture now, but has but it, it, as soon as the you know after after George after Mad King George tanked the throne and it was gone at that point, so was the Church of England's right to rule the nation. And it's it's kind of beautiful how that authoritarian overreach is actually what caused the secularism.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's it's actually fascinating, but I, I don't think for a second or believe for a second that that model could ever work in the United States because the religious in this country... Absolutely want a theocracy. And and it's also it gets ironic too because they're also the first ones to bitch about Sharia law whenever we're talking about Muslim countries. Yep. And, and, and we, we
1: celebrate it. Mike Pence would get cheered when he would go up on stage and say, I'm a Christian first, an American second. That was the that was the vice president of the country basically saying the country is second to me.
2: Yeah. And once upon a time, that would be horrendous. I mean, like you were mentioning, Chris, when John F. Kennedy was president, that was the biggest fear is that the Pope was going to rule. Like people legitimately feared the church's interference in our presidency. And now- there's a whole party of people, probably about 30 to 50% of this country, that cheer for it, that want it, that think it's the the only way to get back on track, even though we've never had it. That's the thing. It's like these people are the same people that want to talk about the good old days and getting back America back on track. Back on track to something we never had before. I mean, if you really want to get America back on track, let's start pulling religion out of government. That might get us back on track.
1: Back on track to what, though? That's the thing. It's, I. I yeah, we we talk about the the where the country has gone but at the same point like this country was you know again was actually like when the colonies were founded they were founded with that in mind a theocracy yeah. was what the pilgrims wanted you know we talked about this last podcast they were super puritan and and i think you have a point it's like we talk about these 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 conservatives bitching about Sharia law. Uh, there is an equivalence here. It really is the same thing. And this isn't something that happened in an We don't know why there's, there, there's a way this, this was, was designed, right? Karl Rove and the Bushes designed this George Bush, senior ex CIA director, ex VP under president Reagan, the Bush doctrine, like conqueror of South America. Uh, this asshole was very secular. Bush seniorism was not religious at all. He was a yep. secular man, and he and and when he was running for re-election, he was told by his advisors like, "Look, man, the moral majority's big. Dan Quayle's getting a lot of traction with this. You need to embrace the evangelicals." And he was like, "Fuck them. That's the last thing this fucking country needs. It's pretty much the only thing I'll ever agree with George Bush on." And he refused to run with him, and he lost the election. Well, his son. Wasn't going to make the same mistake. And again, you can say a lot of things about George W. Bush. And and I do. He, he's he's awful. He committed war crimes. Like, we went to Iraq just so we could prove how big his dick was compared to his dad. Like, George W. Bush is a disgusting human being who did terrible things. But he's no Dick Cheney and he's no Bush Sr. Which, and when I say this is the liability and the culpability fall to him. He was weak. And he allowed evil to work i mean he allowed evil to happen he let this happen he was the one who was in charge it was on his fucking watch and he let this iraq and afghanistan invasion carry forth for no good fucking reason
2: other than cheney told him to
1: yeah but that's the thing is that's where i'll give him a. now again i'm not gonna be ellen here and say well he's rich and white and we should be nice and hug our enemies no i don't fucking hug fascists i don't fucking hug war criminals God, there's a very famous, uh, you know, Vinnie Paz line of you know wartime presidents do wartime shit, which is why wartime presidents can suck my dick, and I love it. And that's exactly what we're talking about with Bush. He was was he a puppet? Sure. Was he controlled? Absolutely. He still did it. He signed his fucking name on the check. Yep. But this guy's a true believer. One thing I will tell, I will say about Bush is he's not a charlatan. George W. Bush, not his father, but Baby Bush. He's a, a born-again Christian. He was an alcoholic and a cokehead, and he found Jesus and it saved his life and blah, blah, blah. And he's this dumb man from Texas who found Jesus and feels better about it. Great. He Religion actually worked for him in the way it would be nice if religion worked for most people. But he got really big into the evangelical movement, saw that as a power move, and he saw that as his tribe. He was like, yep, the fuck yeah, white Jesus all the way. And so he went with it, and that, that, was, that, was, that was when the door was finally – the door had been cracked open. That's when the door got kicked open and the evangelical movement flooded into politics. And that's why you have Mike Pence saying, I'm a Christian first and an American second. And this is why you – know, George W. Bush got some flack for it at the time, and it's still ridiculous. But when he was asked whose favorite philosopher is, he went, Jesus, and he – he meant it. He wasn't just like, I don't know what's popular. Like, no, 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 he meant it. He loves him some Jesus. Yeah. And then, of course, fast forward. What, is that, what does that do? It sets the precedent. That's what Americans have to do. That's why Obama, who, again, Obama's not religious. But once he was running for office, oh, you can't start going to fucking church. Because yep. if you don't start going to church, you're a fucking terrorist Muslim and blah, blah, blah. So what do you see Trump doing? Trump holds up a Bible after he tear gasses a bunch of people in front of a church. You know, Bi- Trump is asked on the campaign trail, what's your favorite book? The Bible. Which part? Eh, all of it. But there's no New Testament, Old Testament. There's nothing. Is there a passage you're like? Nope. It's all perfect equally. Because, of course, the guy's never cracked open the Bible. Hell, he doubt he's cracked open a fucking six-year-old's book. But he, it was lip service. And the evangelicals don't care because half of them are so stupid. It takes a certain amount of blind, fucking dumb faith to be an evangelical. But number number one. But number two, even if you don't believe him, which half the evangelicals know he sucks, they don't care. He's pushing their agenda. And that's what they want. That's that theocracy that the religious right in this nation and has always wanted. The religious right of any nation, of any culture. This isn't just limited to Christianity. You think this is limited to Christianity? Look, at Islam, Right. Uh, Despite what Western media tells you, most nations, I mean, there's exceptions like Armenia, but most Middle Eastern nations are Islamic. And again, a lot of Asian nations as well, actually. Uh, But a lot of them are like Saudi Arabia and Dubai, where they just say lip service. You know, they are the Obama Clinton Christians, right? You look at the royal family of Saudi Arabia. These are not Muslims. These people do not practice the faith at all. These are very wealthy atheists who understand that as long as they fucking eat some falafel in front of people and say, you know, fucking hail Muhammad, they're good. And they allow the bad actors to do whatever they want to do. And they're like, yeah, sure. Women can't drive, whatever. I don't give a shit because they don't care. They want to sell oil to America. That's all they care about is staying in power, just like any monarch. Again, you don't have to go farther than very recent history. The Iranian Revolution Iran was taken over by the West, and the U.S. had put in a puppet king, the Shah of Iran. Uh, the very last Shah was Mohammad Reza Pavlavi, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but it's Mohammed Reza uh, Pavlavi or Pahlavi, And he's basically, because he was the Shah who was ousted, people just literally, when someone says the Shah, they mean him, they mean Mohammed Reza. And he was a puppet governor for the United States. We put him in power. There's actually very famous footage of him coming to Disneyland. And Walt Disney shakes his hand and welcomes the Shah of Iran to Disneyland because he was a Western ally. He gives a whole bunch of oil, a whole bunch of stuff in the Middle East. And he was absolutely, Iran was owned by the United States. If you look at pictures, you can look this up online. Look up pictures of women in Iran in 1978. You can't tell the you can't tell the difference between a group of Iranian women or a group of American women in
0: 1978. No, they, they're dressed exactly alike. Yeah, jeans, t-shirts, going to college. Yeah, it was, it was that free love, you know, hippie, disco. It was all of that. And then, what was it, 1990s when all that changed? Uh, 1979, actually.
1: That's that's when the Iranian Revolution was. But yeah, the U.S. was on top of the world, right? We were winning the Cold War. We were winning the space race like fucking America, USA, Rambo, right? 1979 rolls around and... The people of Iran are pissed off now. There's always been this backlash from the far religious right, but now the moderates are like, "No fuck this! We're not letting America and Great Britain and the Dutch steal all of our fucking oil. This is garbage. This guy's a puppet." And so they join forces. You have the centrists and the far right joining forces. They have a revolution. And they fucking oust this dude, send him off to exile. He's kicked out of the throne. And then we get the Ayatollah. If you want to Google pictures of Ayatollahs, and if you want to know what an evil wizard looks like, my God, these guys, are. every Ayatollah has been terrifying. I don't know what it is about them, but he runs the government. And now the prime minister of Iran is a puppet of the Ayatollah. We have Islamic Pope runs the country now. And Iran has become an enemy to us. And it's our fault. Had we let Iran move about their natural history, they would have become, I mean, Iran's got amazing history. That's a cradle of civilization. You know, Persia is, you know, this is where Zoroastrianism comes from. This is where the world's first astronomers comes from. You look at a clock, those numbers on there, those are Arabic. This culture is the oldest and One of the most amazing and powerful that's ever existed. And it's just fucking rich. And we've destroyed it for money and faith. ISIS, where do you think that came from? ISIS, we talk about ISIS and how they're just the worst thing ever. They formed because of the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. ISIS is the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. Now, there is also, I guess it's formerly ISIL now, which is Iraq and the Levant. Uh, Most people still call it isis But that formed, and they're trying to bring about Armageddon. These aren't political actors. These are religious actors. They are actually hoping to invade Israel. They first want to take back and make a giant Islamic state and then go cause a second Holocaust, invade Israel, kill the Jews, and bring about Armageddon, actual Armageddon. They want to bring about the end of days and have Muhammad come back and burn the world. That is the plan. So this idea that like, oh, it's in the past, religion doesn't con- doesn't rule our politics anymore is folly, because the second you drop your guard, it rears its ugly head. Religion has deep roots, and that's because it, religion and governance go hand in hand from day one, and we are only now, this is my historical opinion, we are only now entering an age in the last, you know, 100 years where that started to change. That's a fraction of human history. That doesn't change overnight.
2: Talked about it before. Like, um, I've mentioned it. Pew Research tracks this a lot, you know, basically where people stand on their religious views. And the one of the fastest growing demographics in this country uh, are what is termed the nuns, not, not habits nuns, not black, you know, penguin nuns, nuns as in N-O-N-E-S. Um, and those are people that identify with no organized religion whatsoever. It doesn't necessarily mean they don't believe in God or Jesus or anything like that. It's they don't um, identify with any of the organized religions. This includes uh, people that are, you know, call themselves spiritual, but not Really religious, or people that are atheists or agnostics. You know, it's a whole gamut, but that's one of the fastest growing groups, if not the fastest. And, and this isn't just, you know, to the US, this is worldwide. Like, non religious belief is absolutely growing and expanding. And I think it's part of the reason why you're seeing such a big uh, increase in right wing fundamentalism. It's because it's the last gasp of a dying breed it's really it's it's the old tiger sensing its end and, and being its most ferocious and that's what's happening it, they they all know they are on their way out and, and and so like chris said it is changing and it is actually changing quickly like com- compared to other like social changes this one is widespread and growing The problem is, is there's still a big fight against it. And you also, and this is where I think Chris and I have a big debate about moderate uh, religious believers. But the two main groups in the U.S. that fight for the most hated demographic, give you guys two guesses. What do you think the two groups that constantly go for the most hated back and forth in the U.S.?
1: It's definitely going to be Muslims and atheists.
2: Yep, you got it. Yeah. And they are constantly going back and forth by, by, like, sometimes not even full percentage points. We're talking, like, decimal points of percentage points of least trusted.
1: Well, they're both run by the devil. Can I get a Hail Satan?
2: Hail, Hail Satan. Satan.
1: There you
2: go. But a Muslim in this country has a better chance of getting elected to office than an atheist does. Yes. Absolutely. Mm, do.
0: I, I'm not so sure about that. How many atheists do you think actually serve? I would bet you it's a lot less than you think it is.
2: It, it is. That's uh, open true. We atheists. have more
0: Muslims in, this, in in Congress than we do the atheists. Or at least declared atheists versus declared Muslims.
2: And, and again, I'm talking more specifically yeah, about public. national office. Uh, well, I mean, I'm talking about like high ranking stuff. I mean, you, you'll probably see, I've seen them all over the place. More uh, low, low end state and local atheists are getting elected now. It's starting to happen.
1: Yeah, you're seeing a lot of state senators and state governors. Yeah, exactly. or governors. I mean, state senators and state representatives.
2: But as far as like Senate and, you know, House and major political appointments, no, no, not, not going to happen. Not in Jesus' Exactly. You cannot blame this squarely on the right because there's still a significant religious component to leftists that control this country.
1: Yeah, but leftists don't, I have to disagree, but leftists don't hate atheists.
2: I didn't say they did. I'm not, it's not about hate, though, it's about distrust. You can distrust someone and not hate them. And that's what it is is a lot of people, they, again, Pew Research has done polling on this. There is a distrust to somebody that does not identify with a religion. And, and it's, it goes, I mean, it's sociology 101. This is herd mentality. You know, religion is something that binds a lot of people. It's why we have, I mean, can you name a single Democratic uh, elected official who doesn't profess to be some form of Christian or Muslim?
1: A- absolutely. But devout, liberal religious people don't suffer the same issues with religious intolerance that the right does. That is a conservative thing.
2: I would agree with that. However, that's not the argument I'm making. The point I'm making is I'm talking specifically about getting elected without being religious. And in that in that arena, allowing for a religious component to still thrive, leftists do that too. I've I've talked to plenty of them, and again, I bet you anything if you if you looked at this, I'm sure there's numbers out there. I don't have them in front of me. Should look this up, but I wasn't expecting to have this debate, so I apologize. But if you've got a leftist. Who let's even see leftists? Let's say a Democrat, okay. One of them who is an atheist who is for everything that you, the three of us, like everything, and you've got another one that's also for everything that we like. I mean, they are on paper the exact same with one single difference, and one is an atheist and one is a Christian. The Christian one will get elected every single time.
1: I completely disagree. I think if you find a Christian who is pro-choice and pro-gay. That no, you're actually the, the that 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 person I'm talking about a liberal Christian voter, which is what Matt's yeah. talking about. Yep. they will care far more about that person's stance on gun rights and Roe v. Wade and war over what church they go to or if they don't. I, I actually completely disagree, and I would love to see some, even if there is accurate polling on this because I don't want to just say, well, I'm a Democrat no because there's there's right wing Democrats as well. I'm talking about people who are pro-choice, pro-equality. You find me pro-choice, pro-equality people who are Christian, which there are plenty of them. They're not the majority of Christians, but they're a big chunk. Those people would care far more about policy and stances on those major issues like the Second Amendment and abortion than they will on whether or not that person is religious.
2: You know, that's actually an interesting topic. I, I think we should put it out there to our listeners to see what they think about it, and I might even blast our social media with some with that as a polling question.
1: Because yeah. again, this is, this is obviously our, our opinions are anecdotal.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But,
1: but I can think of off the top of my head five or six people I know who fit that bill, who are Democratic voters, they're liberals, but they're pro-choice, um, you know, and they're pro they're pro-choice and they're pro-gay and those people wouldn't don't give a shit about the religious views of the person running they care about those issues
2: well and keep in keep in mind we're talking about two identical people running with the only significant difference between them on policy or not even policy the only significant difference between them is one is a christian and one is an atheist well, okay, yeah, that, sure. That, but, that is but, the but, hypothetical I'm 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 giving you. But real you. quick, but, but the that, Christian but will win based on yes. that factor alone. But,
1: but that, that doesn't matter. If you put these people who are identical on policy and one's a man and one's a woman, the man will pull better with men. Like that comes down to people tend to if if there's nothing else to consider, yes, they'll pull they, they will hire the person who looks more like them. Sure, Mm -hmm. but you have to give me some nuance. If you're going to say they're identical people, yeah, sure, but that doesn't prove that religiosity is, because if they're identical candidates, and one's right-handed and one's left-handed and that becomes an issue and a talking point, the right-handed person will win.
2: I mean, I guess you, you have a point there. I can, I can concede that. I still disagree. I think religion plays a much bigger role across the political spectrum in how people vote and what they expect to see than, than I think you're giving credence for. And yes, I think most – I agree with you that most leftists, people that we would consider – Not, not leftists,
1: liberals. Because here's the thing. You're going to be hard-pressed to find – there are some, but you're going to be hard-pressed to find hardcore leftists who consider themselves active, devout Christians.
2: Yeah. And I agree with you on that place. I, that, that's the distinction I was making. I I wouldn't, I'm talking specifically about liberals. I'm not talking yeah. about leftists because I agree with you on that.
1: Yeah. People wearing a pink pussy hat. That's who we're talking about.
2: Yeah, exactly. This is where I think.
1: And it, I'm with her stickers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I And I would, I would argue most of them <laughs> for all their professing to be left leaning and supporting of those things they also lean really heavy on their religion. And it's it's the typical thing of like, well, my religion doesn't hate the gays. My religion is really accepting. And then, you know, when Black Lives Matter shows up asking for help, they'll shut the door.
1: Yes, but again, I think if their choice was someone who was pro-BLM, and someone who was anti-BLM, but the Christian was anti-BLM, they would go with the more progressive candidate, and that's what I'm saying. It's like if you add in, if you added any, if you have their one's Christian, one's an atheist, and then you add in any other factor, whatever those those liberal talking points are, mm-hmm. whatever candidates not on board with them goes away. And again, and we're talking about, you know, one of the, the problems I have with liberals is they tend to be one issue voters, which is actually yeah, one of the reasons I true. think this is is mm-hmm. liberals tend to be like. Gay rights, it's all I care about. Second Amendment, it's all I care about. Women's rights, it's all I care about. Racial equality, it's all I care about. Like, they tend to be one issue voters rather than, no, I care about equity for all. That's what makes a leftist a liberal yeah. cares about several pet things, and very often one of those is them. Again, now we're just arguing semantics, you know. Or, yeah, sorry, pretty much. Arguing so I face, think I,
2: I am going to use that as a uh, talking point for for our listeners, and I'll probably be blasting out social media, guys. We'll get off when we get off this podcast. We'll uh, put something together probably for next week.
1: This is why it's so dangerous to not critically look at your candidate's policies and what they do. And this is why it's not why it's critical to not blindly accept their faith statements, because, again, you have someone like Biden, who is an actual devout Catholic, who is now facing political pressure from a foreign entity to change the law of the land. The Supreme Court has ruled how the Constitution declares this, and they want him to go against the Supreme Court, go against the Constitution, get on the wrong side of history, and go against women, which is more than half the population of the nation. They want to bring us back to the dark ages, and just like Trump supporters wanted Mike Pence to circumvent the entire Constitution and all of democracy to force Trump to be president, the the Catholic Church wants to force the president. To end R.V. Wade and make women property and take away their autonomy of their own bodies again. And we cannot let it stand. And I don't care if it comes from a conservative pundit. It comes from the church or it comes from anything. It doesn't matter where that raises its ugly head. But whatever it is, when someone tells you a certain group of people don't have an autonomous right, they, that needs to be stamped out and stamped out hard.
2: You, know, you want you want Sharia law? This is how you get Sharia law.
1: Yep. And this, this is why The Handmaid's Tale is a peek into our possible future, not fiction. Yep.
2: You know, it, it's, it's, it's never overnight. This kind of stuff is insidious. It happens over the course of decades, and that's what's been happening.
1: And that's why it's important to have these kinds of conversations and to keep vigilant on this. I know it sounds like, oh, they're just pushing an atheist agenda. It's like, no, there are certain inalienable human rights that we have fought for, people have bled for, died for marched for that we cannot give up and no one's personal faith gets to drag the rest of us down into the annals of Barbacity because they have a comic book they like better. So, Keep vigilant, everybody. This is why it's important to always talk about this and set the bar. Because if you don't settle, if you don't draw a line in the sand on what is a right and what can't change and where someone's belief structure is allowed to influence the world around them, this is the shit you get. And it needs to be corrected. So, if I recall right, we actually have a correction.
2: Uh, Yeah, we do. So quick correction from our interview with Officer Lamar Gordon. User Alex uh, writes into us. He said, "Uh, so I was listening to part two of the cop interview. Very interesting, by the way. When you guys started talking about the cop who shot the girl with the knife, you made it sound like the girl was uh, coming at the cop with a knife and the cop was cowardly. But what happened uh, was she was shot while in mid-swing with her knife at another girl who was not doing anything when the cop walked up onto the scene. She was a second away from possibly murdering an innocent person the moment she was shot. Only bringing it up because the pictures being painted in the conversation wasn't at all like the video the police released.
1: Yep. And it's funny because I remember like when the cop pushed back on that one, I suddenly kind of remembered like, oh, yeah, that's right, because I wasn't familiar with this one. And I had conflated these two in my head of the pool party uh, where the cop body slammed a, a 90 pound teenager. Now, I still disagree with this one. I don't care. You're a cop. You should charge in. But I get it. And and, and that, is a, uh, that is a correction that is true. I was absolutely mistaken. Um, and corrections are important. I know it sounds nitpicky, so I'm like, why are they even talking about this? No, no, no. When we're wrong, that needs to be pointed out and we need to own it. So yeah. I was absolutely mistaken, 100%. Thank you, Alex.
2: We might be wrong about facts and the correction might not necessarily change our, 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 our minds. Keep that Keep that – be aware of that, everyone. Like you can give us a correction and it may not change much. But we're going to acknowledge it because we always want to be on the right side of history. We always want to be telling the truth. And we appreciate when, when our users uh, reach out to us to give us the facts. So and facts thank matter. you, Alex. Yeah, facts absolutely matter. So thank you, Alex.
1: Remember, it's not just about, I always close us out with, you know, look out for yourselves and and, and and take care of each other. And that really matters because you have human rights and you have human rights the government still doesn't recognize but you have some they do as well and it doesn't matter what culture you are what country you're in who you are what your gender preference is what your religion is what your skin tone is it doesn't matter you're a human being and no one gets to take that away from anybody because of their personal religious convictions they're allowed to believe whatever they want in their own heads but they are never allowed to take your humanity away from you or anybody else so in that vein Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And remember, the non-religious affiliated revolution.